You're listening to Not The Wifey Type, the podcast, a cape-free zone where we break down strength and struggle narratives to reimagine lives with us at the center. I'm your host, Kayla Charleston. Now let's get into it. You ready? You fake smiling? You got to talk louder than that. Oh, I know. I'm going to talk Okay. We are back for the first episode of the season. This is season four of Not the Wifey Type, the podcast. And I thought since Mother's Day is coming up that I would have an uh, an episode with my mama. So this is mama. (laughs) Oh, you can't see me right now if you're listening to this on uh, an app, but I just pointed to my mama. This is my mama. I'm going to ask some questions and you're going to answer them. And why are you looking confused? Okay, I got it. And then we'll talk about some other stuff. Basically, we're just going to talk. Okay, are you ready to get into it? I'm ready to get into it. You nervous? No. That sounds like a nervous no. I'm not nervous. Okay. So, my first question to you as my mother, what's your earliest memory? Of you or period? In general, I would probably say when my father um, left my mother and I remember him coming back to get, I guess, some of his belongings and we had a side porch on the house and she and all of the kids were standing on the porch as he was gathering some of his stuff. And I know I was very, very small, but I just remember that very vaguely. And I don't remember anything that was said, but it was a lot of tension between them. And I and I remember that. Is yeah. your earliest memory? Yes, it is. Okay, okay. What's your earliest good memory? <laughs> earliest good memory. <clears throat> um Probably, I remember when my mom had Jody, my baby sister, and she had her around Christmas time. And I remember our babysitter was Delilah Hunter. Dang, you're giving people government names? Oh, Delilah. And um, I remember mama coming home with Jody in a red stocking, a Christmas stocking. I remember that. And I was I was young. I remember that. How old? I'd say maybe about four or five, maybe. Jody, you're four years older than Jody. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, excuse me if you're watching this. I'm I'm reading these questions off my phone. But um, <clears throat> who were your role models? Who did you look look up to when you were younger, and who do you look up to now? So let's start when you were younger. Who were your role models when you were younger? That's a good question. We didn't really have a lot of black role models when I was growing up. Who did I look up to? Um, I didn't have any black teachers until probably middle school. So it wasn't a teacher. Um, I would probably go to Sunday school because we went to church and we had Sunday school teachers. We went to vacation Bible school. So probably, um, probably Miss Elsie and Miss Joetta. They were 
I guess when I was a kid, they would have been in their 40s and they were so sweet and so patient and so loving and so crafty. We made all kind of crafts. So I would say those two women, Miss Joetta and Miss Elsie. They were your role models? Yeah, kind of. I didn't really want to be like them, but they were just, they were so different from mama. They were, they were nurturing and they were sweet. Yeah. And they were just pleasant to be around. That's why I remembered. Yeah. But I really didn't have any role models when I was young. Now you got to watch your noise you make on the table because it'll pick up on the mic. Yeah. So this, yeah. Um, so you had no celebrities that you saw on TV or something? Did y'all have a TV? We had a TV, but they, the TV was in black and white, so there was no color. The only blacks on TV was Diane Carroll, who was Julia, um, and, and Good Times. So, yeah, I didn't really look up to any movie stars or singers. You had no black teachers. Not until probably middle school. In J-Town? Not until middle school. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Who, who are your role models now? Jesus Christ is no. my role model. No. Jesus Christ is my role model. No. My role model now, I would say, would be... Oh, my goodness. Um. Don't give me the churchy answer. That's a hard one because I don't. I don't really. You don't look up to. No, you don't have no role models. Is that what you're saying? I guess I don't. Okay. I guess I really don't. Okay, moving on. Uh, what were some of your biggest struggles and insecurities in high school? I was heavy busted in high school, so I was um, always a little insecure about my bust, my breast, and my two sisters were very athletic. So instead of playing the sport, I was always the manager of the team, and which runs right into what I do today. So I was excellent at being the team manager, which meant helping the coach out with whatever he needed, the water bottles, the equipment, all of that. I was excellent. So I did that for the track team. I did that for the basketball team as well. So I really didn't have to be uh, uh, agile and athletic and jump and do anything with my big boobs. I could just manage the team. So I was very good at that. So that was probably my main insecurity was having large breasts in high school. Did you get made fun of? No, nobody made fun of me, but I was always aware of my boobs were larger than most of the other girls. And and you passed on your non-athleticism to me and the boobs. I passed both on to you. <laughs> so, okay. Um, what was the first year of motherhood like for you? Um, I was 22 years old. I was working my first job with Merrill Lynch and I lived at home. It was after the, after Brandon came, it was um, sort of a team effort because I lived with Aunt Sadie and with my sister Jackie. So they helped out a great deal with Brandon. They loved him. They spoiled him. They, they helped me 
do just about everything because I live there with them. So um, it wasn't it wasn't hard being there with them in the household. Um, yeah. So the first year was not bad at all. <clears throat> okay. Well, they helped you do stuff, but what about the adjustment from not being a mother to being a mother? Well, you, you're pregnant for nine months, so you've got nine months to know that you're ready to be a mother. When the baby comes out, life is going to be different. But it wasn't a big adjustment because I did everything I always was able to do. I had a job. I had a car. Brandon was just with me everywhere I went. But when he was about, I think, almost a year, I moved to Memphis, Tennessee with Merrill Lynch. That was a huge adjustment. Uh, leaving leaving Louisville, moving to Memphis, Tennessee, didn't know a soul. And I took a job down there. And um, they said he and Mama and Jackie didn't really like that. They was terrified. So I actually uh, left Brandon in Louisville for a whole summer after I moved. <clears throat> and then they brought him down to me once I got situated and got my apartment and everything. But it was still pretty smooth down there because I found a great babysitter, very loving, sweet Christian people, and they loved Brandon. Yeah. So, what about when you had when you had me, your second child? How did that change things? Well, you were a surprise. Brandon was a surprise too. Neither one of my pregnancies were planned. I've got to be honest. I basically didn't renew my birth control pills, and that's what happens when you don't take birth control, you take chances and you could get pregnant. Um, so you were a surprise. And just to be real, since you're asking me, your father was not pleased and he was not a part of anything. Um, we actually broke up. He broke up with me when he found out trash, trash with a capital T. Um, but I was working and, and had a village around me as well. Um, yeah. And Brandon was a beautiful big brother. He was thrilled to death to have a little sister. And I moved. I was living at home when I had you as well. And then when I went back to work, I had a great babysitter. So I didn't have to worry about that. You were very secure with Anita. Yeah. So that's the difference. Now, it was different having two kids versus one because it becomes more stressful with two versus one. So tell me more about uh, uh, the trifling baby daddy. <laughs> tell me. <laughs> Don't look like that. I mean, I mean, like, how, how did you feel in that situation? Explain, explain what was happening with you at that time when he broke up, when you told him you were pregnant and, you know, all those antics and shenanigans. I was, I was very shocked <clears throat> that he uh, took offense to the fact that I was pregnant because I was working, had income. I wasn't relying on him for anything. Didn't ask him for anything. Basically you wouldn't no bum bitch. No, I wasn't. No, I was where I was working at the brokerage firm. <laughs> they did some renovations and he came in as one of the painters and he was painting. And that's how we met. So he basically put the brakes on it. As soon as he found that I was pregnant, he put the brakes on the relationship and was pissed and basically didn't want to have anything else to do with me. And I honored that. I didn't bug him. I didn't go around him. I didn't call him. I went on through my pregnancy and had you and went on with my life. Yeah, but how did you feel? 
I don't know if I was deeply in love with your father. I don't even think I was in love with your dad. He was very handsome. He was very quiet. Um, kind of a peace loving guy. He never argued, never raised his voice, talked with, you know, a soft tone. But I wasn't deeply in love with them. It was more like lust, to be honest. It didn't, we didn't date long enough for it to turn into deep love. So I really wasn't affected that deeply by it. You weren't scared? No, because I'd already had Brandon. You were the second child. So I did have individuals that told me I should have had an abortion. And had I had an abortion, you wouldn't be sitting here with me now. But I did not do that. I said, no, because I really wanted a little girl. I did want a little girl. And I asked God, please make this baby a little girl. And I just trusted that it was a little girl. And I turned out to be the better of your two children. <laughs> okay. you, don't have to, you, don't have, you don't have to address that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So um, what was it like being a single mother? It was hard. Um, I came, I come from a, a family of educators and um, they were very critical of me to have a second child being unmarried. And the fact that I lived there in the house with them, it was emotionally, it was pretty brutal because they felt they could say anything that they wanted to say to me. And they did. And that was hard. And that took an emotional and a mental toll. Um, even though they love both of you all and were extremely supportive as far as loving you all, but they were harsh on me with their tongue. So yeah, that was, that was hard. Okay. Uh, dang, I forgot what I was about to say after that. So being a single mom. Oh, did you ever like envy maybe married mothers around you or you didn't really that didn't really phase you at all. Did you ever look at, cause I know you have some friends who were maybe married around that time and had kids or were married before they had kids. So did you ever have comparisonitis or something? I certainly did. My best, best childhood friend, Debbie got married. She actually went to UK, graduated and then moved to Atlanta and took a job. And um, she came to Atlanta and after like two years, she met her husband. She was a bank teller and I was in her wedding and she came home to Louisville to get married. So she kind of had the fairy tale situation where he came home and asked her father for her hand. And Mr. Jimmy said yes. And then they, you know, got married and they had a nice honeymoon in Hawaii. And then they had two children. So, yes, I often ask God why. Um, I'll put it this way. Why no man ever valued me enough to want to marry me and have the excitement of, oh, honey, I'm pregnant and oh, we're pregnant, all that stuff. But I didn't stay there long with that. But I did think of st stuff like that because after you came, I knew I didn't want any more. So I knew that fairy tale was not going to happen for me as far as, honey, we're pregnant because I wasn't going to have no more after you. Mm-hmm. And I remember you telling me that a lot of people around you were asking you, oh, when are you going to have a kid? And you were like 23, 22, early 20s. 
Yeah, because when we grew up, a lot of women had kids very young uh, by their by their um, boyfriend they grew up with in the neighborhood. At least by 22, they've had their first child. So none of my sisters or I had had a baby. So when I found that I was pregnant with Brandon, my grandmother, my mom's mom actually said, well, it's about time. And I was shocked she said that, but she really meant that. And then, of course, I had some girlfriends in the neighborhood that said it's about time as well. And that was shocking. But that's just how people felt because young girls got pregnant earlier, younger than. What was the reception? Speaking of that, you said none of your sisters had had babies yet. But later on, one of your sisters had a, a baby who she was also unmarried. Do you feel like the reception when she got pregnant was different from when you got pregnant? I don't know if this is a messy question, but I'm going to ask anyway. We were totally shocked when Jody got pregnant. Because You're saying names? <laughs> because she was uh, very, very athletic, very, very involved in softball. She lived in Atlanta, very uh, socially active, traveled a lot. And you just never really seen her with a lot of men dating or anything. So it was a shock when when we learned that she got pregnant. But I don't really know what the reception was around her. We were just shocked. We were just shocked. Okay. Well, <clears throat> another question, switching gears a little bit. How have your notions of what it means to be a woman changed over your lifetime? Wow. Um, I would say now that I'm 60 years old and still never married. 61. With 60 years old, I'll be 61 in July of this year. Oh. With two adult children. What it means at 60 to be a woman, to me, is how you treat people. How you treat people in your everyday life. Um, how you talk to people, how you respond to people. Um, what, what was that face? She made a face for all those Sometimes I don't treat people kindly. I'll be honest. Like when I have an issue with my banking or with my cell phone and I call customer service and there's somebody foreign in Pakistan, I can hear roosters in the background and I can't understand what they're saying. I'm a little short with them. I'm, I'm my voice, my tone changes. And I'm working on that. But yeah, so sometimes I'm not as nice as I should be to the average person, but I'm working on that. But anyway, yeah, to be a woman is how you treat other individuals. I believe um, how you value God in your day to day living, how that it, how that can be incorporated in how you treat people. Um, it's not necessarily eyelashes and big booties and okay, uh, not too much. large breasts and small waist. A woman can have all of that and have a terrible heart. She could be mean and evil and spiteful and just all kind of things. So yeah, how you treat people. Did you used to care more about looks when you were younger? Most definitely. Most definitely. Yeah. I believe that God blessed me with a lot of natural beauty. He gave me large breasts. I didn't get the big donk. I didn't get the big booty, but I had natural beauty. I had facial beauty. My lashes were long. My hair has always been thick and long and shiny, nice, smooth, brown skin. So I never had trouble meeting men. I never had to put a whole lot of makeup on because the natural beauty was there. 
But what was the question? I, <laughs> I asked if when you were younger, looks meant more to you because you said at, at 60 now you realize it's not about having big boobs or a big butt or small waist. Yeah. When I was younger, like, for instance, I wore contacts. I, I hardly ever wore my glasses in my 20s and 30s just because I didn't want to be seen with my glasses on. But now I hardly ever wear my contacts unless I go to the beach and want to wear my my sunglasses. I put my glasses on every day because that doesn't matter to me at 60 years old. Um, I still wear makeup, not as heavy. Um, but yeah, it matters. Now I'm going to get you because... I, you you saying looks don't matter now that you're 60 years old, but you won't go out the house without makeup on to cover some of the molds you got. So how do you reconcile uh, looks not mattering, but not leaving the house unless you have certain things covered up? Exactly. Because I believe that some things a woman has to has to help herself on. Like, for instance, if you have large breasts, like we have large breasts, I don't care what's going on outside. You must put a bra on before you leave out your door. You don't ever go anywhere with them girls hanging to your navel. And with me, with my moles, because they're large and they're dark, I have to cover them with foundation. I just have to. I just cannot go out with my moles exposed. I just feel like they're unsightly and they're that ugly. And that's just me. And I go to a dermatologist now and I have them removed, but it's kind of painful. So I don't really care to do that, but I have done that. Yes. So some extent of beauty does still matter at 60, just not to what it did at 21. You think they're ugly? I think moles are ugly and it's in my genes. My mother has them all over her face. She's never had one removed and they're horrible. So I know as I, as I get older, they're going to look like that. So I have to get them removed by the dermatologist. Who told you they were ugly? In my mind, they're ugly. They're ugly. I don't care if a mole popped out anywhere on my body, but not my face. Why my face? I don't know why they have to come out on my face. I hate them on my face. Okay. I'm going to leave that alone. Okay. Okay. And I'm praying that if they start popping out on you, you get you a good dermatologist, a good black dermatologist, and start getting them removed off your face. You, you, you've made it sound really painful. I mean, it doesn't have to be, but yeah, it's not always painful. So I'll take that back. I don't believe that, but okay. <laughs> uh, okay, so here's another question. What was the moment I frustrated you the most when I was growing up? You frustrated me the most? Uh-huh. Kayla, you were very easy to raise. You were a very independent, um, uh, motivated, determined child. I never, ever had to say, Kayla, what's your homework? In 12 years of elementary, middle, and high school, I never had to say, did you do your homework? That to me was incredible. You were very self-driven, as I said, motivated and determined. So I was never frustrated by your schoolwork because you did it. Um, I think your most difficult years became when you got to high school and um, and you started to meet young men and um, some other young women may have liked one young man that you liked. And then there was some drama 
And, you know, as kids grow up and they're away from you more and more, you don't really know what's going on when they're not with you. And when they're riding the school bus and the time after school, by the time they get home, you don't know what's going on during those times. So it was a little tension going on there with some little boys and some other little girls. But I would say more than that was your cleanliness. You did not like to clean your room. You didn't like to clean your room. And that drives me crazy because I'm a neat freak. And so that was a little frustrating. But other than that, you were easy to raise. Well, in my defense, in my defense, you're such a neat freak that you never gave me a chance to clean up. You just do it. So then you just did it. That's true. (laughs) Very true. Also, for the record, and... (laughs) The situation she's talking about with the boys, I got into a fight with a girl named Desiree. Oh, <laughs> uh, downtown somewhere? Yeah, it's on Fourth Street somewhere. On Fourth Street? I don't, I didn't live downtown. I was doing something after school, and she rode up on me, and so then we fought on this on the side of the road, on the the street, the side of the street, and. And she scratched Kayla all up. She had scratched. No, wait a minute. Don't don't say that like I didn't win. I don't know who won, but she scratched you up real tough. I and won. that's how I knew something had happened. I won. But anyway, I would have never fought her if she hadn't run up on me. Hmm. So anyway. <laughs> uh okay. What advice would you give to your younger self at age 20, 30, and 40? Now think. At 20, I would have kept taking my birth control pills and I would have renewed them. So I wouldn't be here. Okay, next question. At 30, uh, I probably would have gotten into fitness. I would have developed some type of fitness routine because exercise and fitness is key. And at 40, um, At 40, I was pretty proud of myself because that's when I moved to Atlanta. I resigned from my job in Louisville and said, I'm moving to Atlanta. And I did it. I didn't have a job, but I had 20, I had about 15 years of working in as a recruiter. So I knew I had, my skills were transferable. The only mistake was um, you were a senior in high school and I uprooted you out of Cynic, out of manual to move here and the educational system was terrible in Georgia. But in 40, I was very proud of myself to make that big move to Atlanta with no job. Wait, so you wouldn't tell yourself anything at 40? If you could tell yourself something at 40, what would um, it be? Wow. Probably just stick with the fitness plan, stick with the exercise. Yeah, and the fitness plan. Because I was pretty proud of myself at 40. Okay. What what are you proud of now? I'm proud of the fact that you have done as well as you have done and you're going to do more. Mm-mm, that ain't that ain't that's me. What are you proud of? What what am I proud of for me? Yeah. Oh. I'm proud of the fact that I'm still here because I had some heart issues where I had to have a pacemaker, but that still has nothing to do with me because that was God. So I'm I'm proud of the fact that um, I survived. I survived raising two children single. I survived never having a husband to su- supposedly support me and to cover me. 
because, you know, that's what the church preaches. A man is supposed to cover a woman and protect a woman and provide. I never had that. Okay, so let's go there. Let's go there. What have been your what have been your issues with the what the church says is the proper way to do things versus what has been your reality? Repeat the question. What has been some of your issues with the way the church says things are supposed to be done versus your reality? Well, the church, the, a proper church should preach the word from, from the Bible. And most of the ones that I went to did, and they leaned heavily on the scripture that said, when a man finds a wife, he findeth a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. So they drilled in the heads of the women. The man has got to find you. You don't go looking for the man. You don't go looking for your husband. You wait and your husband's going to find you. For probably 30 years that was drilled into my head in the church. And I believed it. So I know now at 60 and still unmarried that that does not necessarily work. It works for some women, yes, but it doesn't work for all. So are you saying that you should have been more active in finding a husband for yourself instead of waiting for one to find you? Most definitely. Most definitely. I'm not going to say I didn't have relationships because I did. I'm not going to say I didn't have sex because I did. But I would have had a different viewpoint. Of course, we weren't online then. There was no online dating 30 years ago. Um, You just met, met men in the club or the gas station or the post office, wherever you were out or through friends. But yeah, I would have had a different perspective on it, but the church had a lot to do with my mindset as far as having a husband. So, okay. If you would go to, if you were more proactive in finding a husband, how would you, what would you do to find one? At 60 or back in the day? Back, back then. Well, I I didn't feel like, I'm not going to say that. I did feel like at some point, because I love God so much, and then I started preaching, and I was very, very, very wrapped up in the church, which I enjoyed. I just felt like I wasn't whole uh, as a minister without a husband. Because, of course, we have sex drives because God gave us sex drives, whether you feel with the Holy Ghost or whether you're a street woman, whatever. Everybody, every human being has a sex drive. So I became frustrated with the church and frustrated with how I had to deal with my sex drive and my libido and still be saved and sanctified and in love with Jesus. That was a huge dilemma. And it still is for a lot of young, a lot of women in the church. So um, I always longed for a husband. But then as the years went by and no husband ever came, of course, you take lovers and you take boyfriends and you just kind of take what what comes or what you can deal with. Um, You still hope that it will turn into marriage, but it never did. Well, what kept you believing in something that was apparently against your nature? As far as you mean marriage? No, I mean like the church preaching that you have to be married to have sex, but you just said everybody has a sex drive. So what kept you believing in the teachings of the church if they contrasted 
your reality so much? That's a deep question. Um, Let's talk about it. I believe the Bible. I believe what the Bible says. I believe that um, the Bible was written by men inspired by God. So I don't question what is in the Bible, but how it relates to people's lives is where the church has failed it's some of its members, especially women, when it's related to sex. They don't teach on sex. The only thing they teach is don't fornicate. You must be married to have sex. But they don't teach women what to do until the husband comes. What do they do with that libido? What do they do with that sex drive? What, what do they do when no husband is coming and they've got all these hormones going on? Nobody talks about that. They don't teach that. Um, they need to do a better job with that. I, I don't think you're answering the question. What's the question? How did you, what kept you believing in the teachings that they were teaching? Obedience, and it, obedience. And, and I guess one, not wanting to fit in because I never cared about fitting in, but just obedience to God, reverence to God, wanting to be um, in line with what the word teaches. That's what kept me believing. Would you say it's been worth it? I wouldn't give anything for my relationship with, with the Lord Jesus Christ. I love the Lord Jesus Christ with all my heart. I still love the church, love the church, but something is broken. Something is broken the way God planned marriage and uh, relationships with a man and a woman and then it leading to marriage. It's just not like that anymore. People aren't marrying. You know, some people don't want to have any children. I mean, it's so many single women who love God and love the church and want a husband and can't find, can't find a husband. So what do they do with their sex drive? And nobody's talking to them about it. Nobody's open, open about that topic to them. Okay. I mean, I have some more questions, but I'll, I'll, I'll so I'll say this at 60, at 60, I truly don't believe that God is going to condemn me to hell. Oh gosh. Do I want to say this? That God is going to condemn me to hell. Um, I'm not going to say that. God say it. You done started it. I'll, I'll put it this way. I believe God is, looks at things differently uh, when it comes to a sex for a single woman who does not have a husband. He looks at it differently than the church looks at it. Maybe uh, in, more in a less, believe it or not, a less judge, non-judgmental way than the church because the church can be very, very judgmental. That's just it, my belief in my heart. Okay. Because there are so many single people that love God and that are healthy and want to have sex. And what do they do? And no husband is nowhere in sight. Okay. Next topic. <laughs> okay. Uh, what's something you always wanted to do but didn't? And why didn't you? Oh, good question. When I was growing up, I wanted to be a news anchor. 
What? Yes. I've always thought I wanted to be a news anchor, but I cannot stand taking selfies. I can't stand being on a camera. <laughs> Here we yeah. are on a camera. For some reason, I don't like looking at my reflection. So that, Ooh, that message ca- that career would have never worked out for me. Why? Why don't you like looking at your reflection? I don't know. It, I was always beautiful, but I don't know. But that's what I wanted to aspire to be. And. And this is the first I'm hearing of this. I thought you wanted to be a Christian today. <laughs> Excuse you. me. I thought you wanted to be a Christian um, psychologist. So, okay, as I got older. So in my 20s, I wanted to be the news anchor. As I got older and my relationship with God developed and I understood the difficulties that people have with their psychological makeup, their emotional makeup, the things they go through in their family, some of the things I went through with my auntie and my sister when I was pregnant with no husband. Um, people have a lot of issues. And uh, I wanted to be a Christian psychologist. Yes, most definitely. And I wanted to be a pastor. I always wanted to pastor because I wanted to um, let the world know how much God loves them. So, yeah. And so uh, 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 going back to this newsacre thing, even in your 20s, you didn't like looking at your reflection. I have never liked taking pictures. Never. You do be awkward kind of. When you it's like pictures. I don't know how to smile and my smile is not natural. I have to make I'm not a cheesy person. You know, some people you, they can say say cheese and they just turn and on the dime can just put on a photographic face. I've never been able to do that. You got that from grandmother. She's I, also not. A- she's, my mother is very awkward on camera. Yes, <laughs> very. I don't smile unless something's really funny. So it's hard for me to just break into a smile. Yeah. What's what, um, was there something your parents did when you were a kid that you swore you'd never do yourself? Yes. I said, when I had kids, I would never ever slap my children in their face. My mother slapped me one time in my face in the kitchen and there used to be uh, the the, the uh, comedy. What is it called? The the uh, comics that would come on on Saturday. Uh, you I see forgot. the stars. Yes. When they smacked, they smacked each other. They would see stars. I swore I saw stars and I was like, oh, my God. And I said, if I have kids, I would never do that. And I've never done that. Good. Cause that was terrible. That was terrible. <laughs> What's the best trip you've ever taken? I would probably say for my 60th birthday, I went to Orange Beach, Alabama by myself, a solo trip. And it was wonderful. It was very, very, very warm. It was like 98. 98. Um, it was very warm during the heat wave of last summer. But it was very pleasant. The hotel was wonderful. It sat right on the beach. Um, yeah, and it was relaxing and it was beautiful. The Gulf of Mexico. And I just didn't have to listen to anybody, didn't have to talk to anybody. I didn't know. Nobody traveled with me. And I just enjoyed just my own company. Okay. And that was at 60. That was last year? It was last summer. Hmm. We need to get you out the country, though. Yes, I'm very excited because I have uh, my passport picture right down there. Oh, you took your picture? I took my passport picture and I'm getting ready to make the appointment to go um, have my passport processed. Yes, so that I can go out of the country. Okay, where are you going? 
I'm going to start small, like maybe Aruba or uh, the Virgin Islands, Jamaica, before I do anything big. But I think I'd like to, I would love to go to Africa. Love. That would be really big. Where in Africa? Um, Probably Ghana and Nigeria. Probably. And then I'd like to go to Hawaii as well. Yeah. We, we can't go. We can't go there, though, because they tell people not to go. To Hawaii? Yeah, you haven't heard? No. Native Hawaiians are telling people not to go because they're messing stuff up. Oh, okay. <laughs> we'll have to hold on that one. Let's go to Africa first. You'll go with me? I would love to go to Africa. Yeah, I'll go with you. I would love to go. Um, What do you want or wish most for your kids? To, I want both of my kids to be happy. I want them to be healthy. And to be prosperous, doing something they enjoy doing. Happy, healthy, and prosperous. Enjoying something that they enjoy doing, yes. Okay. And what would your perfect day be like? Describe it. Why are you I have a, I have a perfect day already because I work remote. And in 30 years of working, driving in, commuting, I never, ever, ever dreamed the world would be in a place where we are right now, where people could work remote five days a week. No more commuting, no more office. I absolutely love it. So to be honest with you, every day is a perfect day for me because I can get up around eight and keep my pajamas on all day if I want. Mama, your perfect day is working? Because I love what I do. I love being a recruiter. I love connecting people with employment. And I love not having managers standing over me in an office. So that's the biggest caveat. I love that because it it changes the whole dynamic of work because nobody's standing over you. No coworkers are sitting next to you, listening to you. You are in your private home doing your thing. So you like working. I, I love working. I'm very industrious. I've always been industrious. I'm 60 and I have friends that are starting to retire. And I'm thinking to myself, I can't imagine retirement. I couldn't imagine waking up in the morning and not having anything to do for five days a week, for seven days a week. That to me is terrifying. And probably because I've worked all my life and I enjoy what I do do, which is being a recruiter. So I'm not ready to retire anytime soon. I think when I do, I'll still keep some kind of part-time gig doing something, volunteering or something. Let's talk about retirement because it seems like I'm a little more pressed about that than you are. <laughs> yeah, I think I think maybe you mean for your life or for my life? For your life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, why even think about retirement when you're when you're earning good wages? You're not going to be working forever. I won't be working forever, but right now I'm making over a hundred thousand a year. If I'm allowed to say that on here, if you won't, that's your business. So if I'm making over a hundred thousand a year and I'm 60, why slow the train down? Let the train keep running down the track at full steam. Okay. But you have to save the money. I know I'm working on that. Uh huh. Yes, I am working on that. Yep. And I will, I will. Yes, I'm working on that. Mm -hmm. So And that's another caveat as well with the remote working. It's incredible because you can add multiple streams of income. Whereas for years, people had one job or two jobs or whatever, but mainly one job with this remote work. 
in working from home, you can work as many jobs as you want as you can handle. But you seem to be okay. So, do you understand why it's stressful for me that to see you talk like you're gonna be just working forever and retirement is not a big deal and something? That you I don't understand do. why that's stressful for you. No, as long as I'm in good health and I'm earning excellent money, which I am, why would that be stressful for you? Because you're not always going to be able to work. And then what? Do you, and then, and then, and then what? I don't get that. So I know I need to start saving better, which I will. And all of that's going to accumulate. So I don't know what the issue would be. If I'm earning great wages, I'm still in health. I'm still wanting to work. I'm still good at what I do. I'm in command. I'm in. I have people calling me wanting to offer me jobs. So why would that be an issue? Would you rather I be sickly and living with you in cash in in your place? No, what I'm saying is that ain't happening. You're not always going to be working. So it's about foresight and planning for the future. That's how that's what. I'm saving. When you save, you're planning for the future. That doesn't mean I have to sit down and stop working. No. How long do you think you're going to be working for? I'd like to work till I'm at least maybe 72. That's just 11 years. (laughs) So what are you saying? (laughs) Nothing. I'm not saying anything. And maybe beyond that, you know, if I can work remote from my home, yeah. So you want to be like Biden and be freaking 85 no, eight, once I get to my 80s, I don't want to be working. I mean, I think he's in his 70s or almost 80, but is he in his How old is he? He looks 90, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, in my 80s, I just want to volunteer. But yeah, I can see myself working till 70, remote, not commuting, not sitting in an office, working from my home. Well, I just want to let you know that... Um, you it sound like you're gonna be <laughs> why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> I just wanna let you know you're gonna have to go with my agenda uh when you get too old to take care of yourself because mm. uh if I, for example, if I wanna leave the country, we're gonna have to find a way for you to go with me and live with me because I don't I like that's if I have to, if I'm if I'm not able to take care of myself. A lot of people grow old independent. My mom is like 86, still driving, still in her home. She doesn't need anybody to do anything for her. So not everybody grows old and gets feeble and incapacitated. Um, yeah, so some people stay healthy and vibrant even in their 80s. So... I pray to God that I'm not broken down and need someone to care for me when I'm in my 80s or even in my 90s. The 90s is a different story, but yeah. Are you prepared to flee the country with me? I'm prepared, <laughs> yes. That's why I got a passport because I don't know what's getting ready to pop off with all this going on in the world. So yeah, yeah. I don't. I wouldn't have a problem leaving the country with you living somewhere else as I get older, but not in my 60s. And probably no. not in my seventies. No, you talk back too much right now in your sixties. Yeah, so. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still, you know, still what? Yeah, <laughs> still what? I'm still doing what I do. <laughs> and what's that? 
what I do. Okay. Um, let's see what else. You have any questions for me? No. You don't have no questions for me? No. I'm a little offended. <laughs> I don't have any questions for you, Kay. Well, Is that because you already think you know everything or because <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, shoot. No, I just don't have any. I don't have any right now. Okay. Well, um, I asked you another mom question. We'll, we'll wrap this up soon, but another mom question. What is the thing that has made you the proudest about me? You started to answer a little bit. Earlier, but I said, we're talking about you. Now I'm asking, what is the thing that's made you the proudest that I, about me? The fact that you stuck in there and got your PhD, that you went all the way through from undergrad to master's to PhD. Um, and you kind of put your social life on hold. You put everything on hold and just persevered and got that done at a very young age, it is incredible to me that you did that. But it reminds me of the same uh, uh, diligence you had in high school and in elementary and in middle when you would come home and have homework already done. You're just, you've just been a very um, focused young woman. And I don't know where that comes from, I don't know if it's a combination of me and your dad. I don't know where all your intelligence comes from. I mean, we do have some intelligent educators in our family. And I know God graces us and blesses us with certain gifts. And I believe that he has given you the gift of intelligence. And I'm just grateful for that. And you, you're turning out to be a very responsible, level-headed young woman. I'm glad that you realize you don't have to have a husband. You don't have to have kids to be a woman. Real women have babies and all that. You don't have to go that route. You just don't have to. You can do whatever you choose to do as far as one, uh, being a mother. I'm proud of you that you bought a puppy and you're taking great care of this puppy. You know that nigga gave me a headache. And the responsibility that he brings, because puppies bring a lot of responsibility and you have adapted well. Before you bought the puppy, Kayla would sleep till one o'clock sometimes on a Saturday. That is such an exaggeration. Maybe when I was a teenager. No, honey, no. <laughs> yeah, so you've come a long way in uh, adapting to having a puppy and, and being responsible for him. So I'm very proud of that. Okay, I think some of that was embellished a little bit. You remember when I got, how I got my first cell phone? I, ha I thought about that the other day. Kayla, this is how responsible she was. She started selling cupcakes, not buying cupcakes from Kroger's. She started making cupcakes in our kitchen. She took a Rubbermaid container, put the cupcakes in the container, would ride the bus to school with these cupcakes and would sell these cupcakes at school. She would take that money and she wasn't driving yet, you all. And she bought her first cell phone. I didn't even buy her cell phone. I didn't have a cell phone. And then I would drive her, I think it was to AT&T. Mm -hmm. I think they were called the Go Phones yep. back then. Yep. And they bought, were by minutes. And I would drive. She said, you have to take me to pay my cell phone, please. And I would drive her to AT&T. I remember where it was. 
in Louisville and I would sit in the car and that child would go in that store and pay her cell phone bill with her money from her sales from her cupcakes. She also bought her first car. She bought her first car. She worked at Sonics and saved her tips and bought a car from a senior citizen who couldn't drive anymore. <laughs> she bought her first iPad and what was those things that were called? The little, sh the little iPod. blocks. Yeah, she bought her first iPod. I didn't buy any of those electronics for her. She bought all of those herself. So that's just an example of how Kayla has always been very determined, focused, driven. I just thought of something. You know how churchy you were when we were growing up? I was very churchy. Yes, I was. very. I was very churchy, and I don't apologize for it. You, you wouldn't let me read Harry Potter. I felt Harry Potter was um, taught witchcraft to children. I didn't. I, I didn't like that concept. No. Uh huh. Yep. Yep. Or or buy me rap music. I didn't buy any music. I didn't buy my son any music. I really didn't buy any music. I listened to Jill Scott and people like that because I've always loved music. But I wasn't into rap. But I love rap now. I love I love Migos and oh, Cardi B and but I like the beats. I'm not listening to the vulgarity and the, the, the uh, cursing, but I love the beats. So be honest. Do you even know what they're saying? Half of them I don't know. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Cardi B I can understand better now, but Migos, I don't know what they be saying, but I love the beats. Yeah. Well, you don't like Megan, though. Megan's a, yeah. Megan's a little out there for me. <laughs> and I, I don't understand. Megan make a grown woman blush. I don't understand that because you always bringing up sex every every time every chance you get it's different sitting around talking about sex with your girlfriends than to hear it blaring through a speaker in your car what's the difference it's different she like i said she'd make a grown woman blush but i'm not i'm not downing her because it is what it is but no i just can't ride in my vehicle and listen to that and in coming through my speakers, but no. you can, but you can bring up sex to me because you know it's awkward but and I, I don't want to hear. Yes, it. I can, oh. but I can't ride and just listen to Megan like I listen to uh her or Jill Scott or Beyonce. No, I can't. It's something about it. Yeah, sound like a hater. But I'm not judging her. I'm not judging her at all. Okay, fine. Um, one last question. What is what has been the best part of being a mother? Hmm, good question. Probably seeing a reflection of you in your children. Yeah, and being that I had a boy and a girl, just being able to see myself in both male and female uh, child. You mean like physically looks or yeah, character, personality? characters, personality, okay, uh, the say, looks. Say more. How are we like you in character or personality? Well, I think I the looks. it's interesting just to see um, the father and the mother in the children because you can see both in the kids. I see different things in you from your father, your hands, your fingernails, um, your um, um, kind of your demeanor because you have a quieter demeanor. Um, you're more of an introvert than you are an extrovert at times. And he was that way. Very quiet. Um Brandon, very outgoing, very, very social, never met a stranger. Um, very handsome. Okay. Okay. Wait. 
how are we like you though? So what what character besides physical looks, what characteristics do you say we have from you? That's a hard one because I've never really thought about that. I would say you you got my uh uh resilience. You're resilient. I think when things happen to you, I don't think you, hopefully you don't stay there long in the moment you realize, okay, it's time to get up and move on from here and let's see what the next goal is. Or um, your uh, ability to press forward. You remember, you remember when Keith said, I'm just like you? Who was he talking about? I, th- I remember him making a comment. Oh, she's just like you. Probably headstrong. That's what you get from me, determination. You get my determination and you get my, um, I don't know what word I'm trying to find. Not, um, um, I, I can't think. Um, just determination. You're very determined to have your way. <laughs> no, wait a minute. Uh, sometimes I'm determined in life. I've been determined to have my way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I guess I can say one thing that I have appreciated about you as a mother is that uh, I feel like regardless of what it was that I said I wanted to do, you never were judgmental. Like I remember the I remember the first time I was like, I got a tattoo and you didn't like freak out or anything like that. I think I was like, it was, I was like maybe 18 or 19. I mean, I don't know I was an adult technically at 18, but still you didn't freak out. Or like <laughs> when I said, hey, I want to get a BBL. You were like, okay. And you were, you were down to go. So I guess that's been uh, great because I know a lot of people's mothers or parents wouldn't have, you know, just went along. Not not that you just went along with it. I mean, you were concerned and that you wanted to know the logistics and the details, but you didn't like freak out and try to shame me or make me feel bad or anything like that. So you just be rolling with the punches. Well, I didn't give you the donk, so you was gonna pay for the donk. So you might, well, if, you, if you want the donk, you had the money to get the donk, get the donk. As long as the doctor knew what he was doing, that was my concern. Is that he was a skilled surgeon and knew what he was doing? Yeah. Well, I mean, but also, but beyond just that, just anything that I have been like, oh, I want to do it. Like when I went to live abroad, um, you were cool with that. I think you had a, a couple moments. I had a meltdown at the airport, Hartsville Jackson oh. Airport, when you were walking away. Panic just hit me, and I'm like, "Oh my God, who is going to be there to meet my child when she gets in that country?" I was just thinking of all the negative things that were going to happen or could happen when you got to Costa Rica. That was your first time going to another country. Yeah, you were in undergrad. Yeah, I was about eighteen or nineteen, and I was terrified. But I didn't want you to know how terrified I was. Oh my goodness. That was terrifying for a parent, for a girl. And then when you told me that you met some guy from Honduras on a beach and he thought you were beautiful and wanted to take you to Honduras for a weekend trip. Okay, that's not exactly how it happened. I was like, but thank God you had the wisdom not to go. Of course. I hope you didn't go with him. I did not go with him. Okay, so this is what really happened. I took a day trip. I I decided this is my first ever solo uh, anywhere because I went to Costa Rica to study abroad and I had a host family. I asked my host mom, hey, how do I, you know, um, catch a bus to a different city? So she helped me get a bus ticket to go to a different city. And while I was in that city, I took a, uh, I did a horseback riding thing. And the horse, the guide for the horseback riding um, thing was from Hon- 
Honduras? It was either Honduras. I think it was Nicaragua. Mm. And he was speaking to me in Spanish and telling me how pretty I was and how I would give him pretty sons and stuff. And it was just me on this horseback riding like event. And so we were riding through the... She's making... If you can see her face right now. But anyway, I mean, I knew not to go with him because he was... He, obviously, he was a weirdo. And he was saying all this in Spanish. And mm. that was back when my Spanish was better. But anyway, that was my first ever solo trip. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you but, looking like yeah, that? Yeah, I'm glad it turned out the way it turned out. Yeah. So, you, but even though you were scared to let me go at the airport, you never, you never like freaked out at the airport and had a meltdown. You, never, you, you didn't show me that you were. <laughs> no, scared. I didn't. I couldn't show you because I knew that wasn't the right thing to do. So, yeah, but it all turned out, and you had the common sense not to go with the man on a weekend trip. Oh, you, you wouldn't be sitting here now. <laughs> right. Wow. All right. So any last words before we wrap it up? We're at the hour mark. Do we need to redo this? No. <laughs> what do you mean? No. Any last words? No, I've enjoyed this. This has been nice. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day <laughs> to all the mothers. <laughs> You're listening to Not The Wifey Type, the podcast, a cape-free zone where we break down strength and struggle narratives to reimagine lives with us at the center. I'm your host, Kayla Charleston. Now let's get into it.